0: I like that, so I want to mention that. Now, when I went, I definitely, <clears throat> I'm sensitive uh, somewhat to these vortex energies, these electromagnetic energies, and I can feel them in my body, often as a tingling in my face uh, and third eye. And when I visited these these spots, there are there's certainly a lot of energetic materials. The materials there, <clears throat> the monuments are definitely built of, of energetic materials, granite, quartz-bearing granite, quartz crystal being an energetic electromagnetic material. And uh, I, was, I was definitely impressed by the features. And uh, Now, as to whether they're, they're natural or there's some human causation, intentional features, it does very much look like there's, the features have been intentionally enhanced at some point Um, but I and they do the features do fall seem to fall on these planetary grid lines so uh, mm -hmm. that was
1: a convincing feature for me was that um, I looked at the earth energy grid map uh, superimposed over the uh, you know earth map Uh, Google actually has an earth energy grid map that you can download and uh, The line goes directly north, uh, as far as I could tell, right through that area of Montana. And uh, the fascinating thing for me, when I talk about orientation, is that uh, the megalith uh, at uh, Giant's Playground was oriented towards the north, and so was the dolmen that I saw. And um, that that sort of thing is uh that sort of thing bears mentioning, and that sort of thing bears noticing when you're. Trying to contemplate whether or not this whole thing really is real uh, or not. Um, also, Julie Ryder, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this on the air because she's been posting it on Facebook, so I'm assuming that she's now telling people uh, yeah. that uh, they did some sonar, uh, right? Uh, some s- what do you call that? Sonar? Uh uh, some
0: kind of remote sensing, underground sensing for the uh, chambers.
1: Yes, uh, that they found a whole s- system of chambers, apparently, under these megaliths and dolmens. And um, it it is uh, theorized, right, that uh, these dolmens and megaliths were erected or created or however they were made over mine shafts. And um, so if there is a lot of uh, caverns or caves or, you know, open spaces in the earth down underneath, then it, you know, no one's been digging, but it does perhaps point to uh, some sort of primitive mining practices. And that, to me, uh, speaks uh, loads, speaks volumes, because these dolmens and megaliths are directly over top of the um, the boulder batholith. And the boulder Bathala- batholith is this huge mineral deposit between Helena and, uh, guess what, Butte, right? Uh, <laughs> and what do we know about Butte? Butte is a Superfund site, right? uh, A mining town that uh, began in the early 1900s and had its heyday as like one of the richest towns in the United States, Um, and now this, you know, Berkeley Pit stands as a a kind of a memento, a lovely memento to Butte's mining history, Uh, and that is the same batholith, right, that we're talking about that uh, is sitting under Butte and that is sitting under um, the Montana megaliths and dolmens.
0: Yes, or in mineral deposits do seem to correspond with, with vortexes. They create an anomaly in the electromagnetic field uh, or in mineral deposits such as gold, silver, that kind of thing. So uh, there does uh, definitely seem to be that correspondence as well. And, and Julie Ryder does, does seem to be very psychic and uh, is uh, uh, very careful to uh, protect this priceless resource. Uh, sh- its, uh, its location, precise locations, are not being revealed publicly.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, she doesn't tell us where uh, the megaliths and dolmens are on her Facebook page, right? You, you have to get in touch with her, and you have to get in on one of her tours, or... Um, uh, any, uh, see She also holds meditation sort of uh, retreats, uh, events uh, at, at these locations where she's found dolmens and megaliths. Um, I would say just for myself that um, meeting her and seeing the megaliths and dolmens that I saw completely changed the way I think of my surroundings in Montana. I'm now constantly looking at boulders and examining their orientation, and I saw a rock formation uh, outside of Butte that we went climbing on one day, and when I looked around the area, I I felt like I was uh, in, in Giants Playground the same area that uh, Julie had showed me and uh, you know who knows I, I don't know <laughs> what my own psychic capabilities are when you say you stand stand above you know a vortex and you your body feels different and you feel the energy um, do you also have a psychic experience?
0: My psychic experiences have been somewhat limited but I, do, I am becoming more and more sensitive as I focus on and become, you know, uh, just attend attend to these subtle energies, uh, there's, uh, it, again, we're, we're swimming in a churning field of electric and magnetic energies. And as we move from one kind of energy field to another, uh, it does influence our bodies there. Birds and bees and fish all have a magnetic sense that they use to sense Earth's magnet field. And there's a plausible mechanism for humans having a magnetic sense or magnetoreception as well. In that, in every cell of our brain, we have a minute amount of magnetite. And then in our sinuses, in the area of the third eye, we have greater amounts of magnetite. So that could explain how we could have a magnetic sense as well. Uh, and uh, at the there's this you have a spot called the Montana Vortex, and House of History uh, along the Flathead River there. And I spent uh, uh, the three of the last five summers leading tours at the Montana Vortex. So I've I've had the experience of walking around uh, the highly energetic spot, with hundreds. And hundreds of people and uh, everybody senses these energies in different ways um, and some people are more sensitive than others but most people can be can readily be taught to sense these energies uh, just uh, with their hands or uh, and uh, the same is true about dowsing uh, or water witching, most people can just readily be taught the skill. It's it's not something that only a rare few can do.
1: Um, so, can you describe the a, a little bit more the vortex up by glacier? Um, that that um, uh, is it a museum? Would you call it a museum, or is it more of like a uh, <coughs> what do you call that? Well,
0: it's a it's a roadside attraction. There uh, we go. In fact, yeah, it's uh, in just outside of Columbia Falls just uh, outside of uh, Glacier National Park and the uh, there's a number of genuine vortexes in the U.S. that are actually open as tourist attractions and a lot of people will have heard of the Santa Cruz mystery spot in California Uh, it's not the only one in California Uh, there are uh, there's one in Michigan, one in Montana, one in North Carolina. So a total of eight in the United States <clears throat> of these genuine vortexes that are open as tourist attractions. And uh, the main phenomena, the main demonstration of the effect that they're showing, I would say, is this one that can actually be photographed uh, And we call it a shrink and grow effect, where two people stand side by side or face to face. And they appear to be certain heights, relative heights. They change places, and there's an apparent height change. And this has nothing to do with any kind of ordinary optical illusion that we can understand, explain, debunk. Uh, It's... Uh, Not something that's generally recognized by science. It would be easy to dismiss these roadside attractions because, without exception, they all have a crooked house where they're showing optical illusions, as well as this vortex effect. Um, I promise you, though, it's worth your time to stop in and and experience this shrink and grow effect. Uh, It is... It is no kind of ordinary optical illusion we can explain. And that's just one of the effects of the Vortex. That's one visual effect. At the Montana Vortex, they've got dozens of various demonstrations that we do on the hour-long tour. We teach people to sense, to see, and feel their auras uh, on that that hour-long tour. And afterwards, people are invited to stay and and spend more time there at the vortex. Some people uh, react a little negatively. They get a little motion sickness uh, at certain points. Um, At certain points, the energy seems very, very sweet and healing.
1: Uh, Wow. Would you describe how you uh, teach someone to feel their aura?
0: Oh, sure. Yes. Yes. Uh, Many of your listeners will have seen uh, these posters that they're all dots, but when you gaze at them, they pop up into 3D.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Those were so popular when I was a kid.
0: Yeah, the magic eye posters, they're called. And there is a magic in gazing. Gazing. In other words, when you focus your eyes, your, your brain state actually changes compared to when you defocus your eyes when you defocus your eyes and you gaze off into the distance or uh, let's say at a candle when you when you relax your eyes you kind of defocus your eyes uh, your brain state changes and that is the same technique the three the magic eye posters uh, that gazing technique is the same technique that it takes to see the energy around someone's body so uh, we have to do have a spot at the Montana vortex which seems very conducive to people being able to see this energy and uh, we call it the aura spot oh. and it does uh, different kinds of lighting can help uh, sometimes uh, overcast Lighting is good without any bright or light or harsh shadows or bright contrast. Uh, sometimes having a dark background behind a person can help. Sometimes having a light background behind a person can help. But uh, some people are better at seeing it. Other people are better at feeling it. And we move right into uh, a couple techniques for just for feeling our own energy uh, flowing from one hand to the other. Uh, Etc. So um, um, it is pretty pretty simple for people to learn to feel and see that aura energy.
1: Uh, that's that's fascinating to hear because I always thought you had to be psychic or born special to you know learn to see someone's aura. Um, I do uh, have had the experience of meeting people who could see uh, my aura, so I'm I'm a believer. Uh, I was really uh, very fascinated uh, by that. Uh, I've also met people who are psychic, so um, all of those things, you know, don't are not explainable using <laughs> our customary terms and experiences. So um, I, I have one more question about the Montana vortex. Is it built over a, a vortex?
0: Oh yeah, exactly. Here, so I should just say that um, when you do see this energy. Uh, when you kind of gaze past a person you don't focus on them but you're kind of gazing past them what it often will look like it does look like a uh, kind of a bright shadow or a dark shadow or it might look have colors for some people it just looks like mm, wavy kind of watery lines or like a heat mirage or gasoline fumes Uh, for some people it looks kind of like a a mist, perhaps a blue mist, so that's that's kind of what you're looking for there.
1: So, And that it sounds like it's possible to see someone's aura when we, mostly it sounds like you have to relax your focus when you're looking at them, and uh, that's something I would say I don't do very often when I look at someone. I usually look at someone and focus on them, and then I see them, right? I don't typically gaze at people with a soft focus and try, (laughs) actually I don't really try to see people's auras, so... Um, I, I I don't know myself if I've ever seen one um, let's see i'm gonna I'm gonna play a quick song here Dan right. so um, right. bear, bear with us for a moment and um, I didn't even play the morning Ditty yet because we've been talking about all of these <laughs> vortices and auras and psychic experience so um, for those of you listening out there we'll be right back uh, we're speaking with Daniel Shaw and uh, uh, i I can't I don't know what uh, do I call you an expert on vortices, or uh, what? what's your favorite title?
0: Uh, thanks for asking. I, I prefer vortex detective because I don't pretend to be an expert. It remains a mystery. I don't think anybody fully understands paranormal vortexes. Okay, I love that, a vortex detective.
1: Um, all right, well, uh, we are speaking with Daniel Shaw. He's a vortex detective, and we are talking about uh, the Earth's energy system, uh, just like the human body, uh, has an energy system, right? An acupuncture and those things, whether or not you believe in that. Uh, uh, mostly it's something that you either feel <laughs> or and are cognizant of and aware of or, or not. <coughs> Everyone's experience is different. Uh, but we're going to be back uh, with Daniel Shaw in just a moment. I'm going to play our little morning ditty and then uh, play a song for you folks. And then we'll be back with our conversation with Daniel Shaw. So... Get this mic down a little bit.
2: Becca's morning buzz. Wake up and clear out the fuzz. We've got live tunes for you and a guest or two. You want to get the load down, find out what's up in this town. (coughs)
1: Uh, uh, And to be sure, Daniel uh, Shaw is not uh, a local. However, uh, he has been through this town, and we are talking about things uh, around the vicinity of this town. Uh, And just before I begin my song, I will say that (coughs) I believe Missoula has a really special energy, and Montana does, and I think that has something to do with the energy lines running through the state. So um, we're going to play a song called Nameless for you folks. Ooh, I don't know if I I tune this guitar this morning. Bear with me for just Um. a moment. Usually I get my guitar all geared up and warmed up, but uh, I have my my kid with me this morning. Uh, Normally he's not with me on Saturday mornings, and so I didn't really get a chance to warm up this morning, but we're going to play these songs for you folks anyway. So here we go. Capo on there.
2: me Here on a mountainside, my spirit blends with all the rest. Did you find me here with Mother Nature's kiss? Hail you from afar, I know what you are. Lay my hand on your chest, beats loud. Come with me and exist outside the matrix. Wherever mortar on the sweet mountain home, it takes the weight off me. It takes the I see it doesn't exist, Mother Nature never made it. So listen to the sound of the wind as it washes your skin. The feeling's akin to the breath of the sky. It's the cry, it's the sigh from a mother's chest at ease of unrest. See my light in your night. It's the breath between black and white only human in the forest between earth and sky on a mountain side it takes the weight of me it takes the weight of Of me, it takes the weight off me.
1: So that song is called Nameless. and I actually have a little story about that that relates uh, back to the uh, all the vortexes and the Montana megaliths uh, which I'm going to share with you and maybe that's why I played that song I I wrote that song and the song starts off with the lyrics lift me up to that place where a human rainbow race shares a garden of Eden afloat in outer space Uh, and those were the lyrics to the song, and I honor lyrics when they are as they are, and I thought uh, I have to leave them like that, but it seemed like odd lyrics to start a song out with. Um, I wasn't sure even what it meant, a human rainbow race. I just meant you know, that people of all colors live together in harmony, which is a huge dream for the planet, I think. Um, Anyway, I wrote those lyrics, and then I uh, went... uh, in a timely manner, it happened to be at the same time, I went to see the uh, Montana Megaliths and Dolmens, and uh, as I already mentioned, there was a Tibetan Rinpoche uh, leading the tour there and telling us all of these Tibetan creation myths, and uh, one of his creation myths, uh, it was actually the first story that he told when we got there, uh, was that, uh, well, I mentioned that he said that creatures from another planet or beings from another planet came to the Earth and shared their wisdom with us and uh, he called them the rainbow people, and uh they uh, were made purely of this uh radiant rainbow light and uh, when they came to earth, he said they didn't need to eat anything uh and they emanated this rainbow light and uh this was something that they shared with human beings uh or the human beings at the time, which I equate with the chakra system right the chakra system within the human body is uh, uh go um contains the the spectrum of the rainbow right. Anyway, when he, uh, I was just writing the lyrics of these so- this song and feeling like this is weird, and then I got to the Montana megaliths and dolmens, and there was this Tibetan Rinpoche telling me the story of the rainbow beings who came to the earth and shared their wisdom with us, and I thought, oh, maybe it's not so crazy after all for me to have these lyrics in my song, and uh, I wondered if you have anything to to say about that, Daniel, about rainbow beings and all of this, this stuff. Um, if, if there's any tie between that and the vortices uh, if you have anything to say about that
0: well well, I love the song I love the song Rebecca thanks thanks for inviting me to be on your show uh, I like what you say about honoring the lyrics because so often you're channeling those lyrics they're coming through from higher your higher self or however you want to call it uh, you're bringing through from your subconscious, whatever it is for you, uh, these higher truths, and uh, we don't often we we don't really understand what it is we're bringing through at the time, and it means different things to different people. So I, I love how you say that. We my my work stems from uh, alchemy, really, uh, the transfiguration, the transmutation, transformation of ourselves. Uh, In a sense, we ourselves are the great alchemical experiment. We're transforming ourselves continuously. Our bodies are, I think, first and primarily energy bodies. From that standpoint, we're actually energy that has slowed down into this grosser physical matter. So there's a part of us that exists at these non-physical planes, even beyond beyond light. But in our, I think in our limited perception, in our view, light is the closest kind of thing that we relate to. So we are living light, and striving to perfect our bodies and drop this l- illusion of limitation and merge out with with everything in the universe in a in a physical ascension drop all our limitations and merge out with everything in the universe so my work at vortexmaps.com is about working with these earth energies as a as a form of alchemy
1: now um most people when they hear the word alchemy they think of uh you know scientists in the 14th century uh, trying to turn, you know, normal everyday mundane matter into gold, right?
0: Well, well I like how you say alchemists. Some people might say like crazy people trying to turn into <laughs> gold, but in fact, uh, you know, alchemy, just like algebra, <laughs> sorry, just like alchemy, just like algebra, comes from the Arabic, and evolve. You know, it's a it's where our where our sciences came from, Uh, alchemy became chemistry, and the early alchemists were were scientists, and they were striving to understand how to turn, you know, how to understand materials at the molecular and atomic level before we even had those words, really, And, and trying to understand how to, how nature works so that they could then Better work with nature, let's say. So, uh, the the practical alchemist might be working with a furnace and with various metals and such. And certainly, there are people who are doing that today, in, in the best scientific, uh, with the best scientific rigor, uh, working with uh, metals and still in the in these ancient ways of uh, the alchemists using modern technologies but my my focus is not on metals and furnaces but it's on uh, these earth energies and how our our energy system whether you think of it as chakras or do you think of it as the uh, in terms of acupuncture points and lines uh, how our energy system is not separate from the planetary energy system and how we can understand uh, the electromagnetism and these energies better in order to work with our own energy system and the planetary energy system. And here, very much the crux of this question for me is uh, w- the why for this is it's about personal healing and planetary healing, or I would say, mm, uh, are harmonizing the planet. Physical healing and enhancing our psychic abilities. So those those three things are, to me, the kind of the highest application of this vortex maps research.
1: Uh, and so, you know, you said that uh, humans can heal their own energy systems by healing the planetary uh, energy system. Uh, did I did I put that in the right order?
0: Oh well, uh, it's more to the fact of. Uh, when we come into a place uh, and the energy of the place affects us, sometimes we might feel ecstatic or we might feel sad or fearful or not know why or any range of emotions Uh, the place itself, uh, the vortexes and ley lines I'm convinced carry a kind of psychic energy, a kind of memory, emotional memory So when we come to a place and we have an experience there, uh, sometimes it's a church or a graveyard, sometimes it's just a place out in nature. uh, It could be a natural or man-made place. Uh, We're influenced by the energy, and the converse is also true. The place, the vortex is affected by our energy. It feels us in a... You could say in a sense, we're like acupuncture needles on these energy points.
1: Uh, I, I see what you mean. Um, I guess uh, you know every day I try to get outside and do something and lately I've been hiking a lot, and that has a sig- very significant uh, effect on my uh, on my energy system. And I know that humans are affecting the Earth's uh, energy system because, uh, well, I acknowledge that climate change is happening. Uh, and for those of us who do, it feels like a massive upset to the Earth's energy system, uh, at least for me. Um, and I wonder uh, what, what, um, how you kind of tie climate change into the Earth's energy system, or if you, what your take on that whole thing is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Thanks for asking. Uh, as a geographer, I'm very much interested, again, in, although I'm in, I've had many miraculous experiences and I'm interested in the paranormal and paranormal places, I've tried to approach the material in as scientific a way as possible, so I did get a Bachelor of Science in Geography, uh, so I'm very much interested in terms of vortexes in electromagnetic fields and on a planetary scale it's quite fascinating to me the long-term cycles all the motions of the earth not just the orbit around the sun uh, and the shape of this earth's orbit around the sun and the, the angles of the poles and the seasonality and those things are all fascinating to me The there are longer-term cycles we're just beginning to understand these long-term cycles we're just for that matter as as a scientist we're just beginning to understand electromagnetism but uh, in terms of geography and sun earth geometry and long-term cycles of climate we know for a fact that we're now in an age which is an interglacial age. We're in between ice ages, where we are now. We know sea level over the lifespan of the planet. has a cycle of rising and falling. And we know that the Earth is subject to the cycles of the sun, which have... um, short term cycles of 11 years 22 years and long term cycles of on the order of 13000 26000 years so the sun drives the energy on earth it's, a, it's along with the energy in the core of the earth those are the two primary drivers of the electromagnetic field that we experience here so long way around to say that that the climate variability that we are experiencing now that we're that we're calling climate change or global warming I am I am still of the opinion that the what the cause of this is a long-term cycle sometimes called you know related to precession of the equinoxes where Over a period of about 26,000 years, there's a change in the relationship of Earth's magnetic pole in relationship to the sun. And that is really one of the primary drivers of these periodic ice ages. So I like to say, talk to me about global warming after the next ice age.
1: (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, if you put it in those uh, parameters, (coughs) you know, I I hear everybody saying, if we cut our carbon emissions, we can stop this from happening. You know, if we change uh, where we get our energy from, we can stop this from happening. But uh, from what you're saying, it sounds like uh, the Earth is uh, on its own uh, path and uh, humans uh, can do what they want, and it's not really going to change the fact that the climate is currently in a warming pattern.
0: Well, it is paradoxical, of course, because to me, the Earth is a sacred being, a sacred living divine being, and in no ways should we ever pollute the Earth in in any way, shape, or form. Uh, uh, The way that we're, you know, in an ideal state, let's say, the Earth might have five times the amount of oxygen... Imagine uh, how we might feel if we just had a, an environment, an atmosphere that was kind of hyper-oxygenated. Uh, there were times when there was much greater levels of oxygen in our environment, and this would affect how smart we are, how how effective we are, how joyful we are. And right now, we are, you know, on these global s- scales and these geologic time spans. Um, Things can be profoundly different, and we're just our sciences are young. And there's, and if we're going to go down this global warming question path, there's there are political motives and economic motives to have what you might call a, a never-ending war on the climate. Um, that's not my primary interest, of course, but just uh, my my focus would be to treat the Earth in the most sacred way imaginable.
1: And we have a lot to learn uh, to, to do that, right? <laughs> and I, I agree with you on that. Oh, so how do we treat the Earth in the most sacred way imaginable? How has your um, vortex research, uh, your detective work, how has that um, kind of informed you as to how you know we might use our knowledge of the Earth's energy system to treat the Earth with more respect?
0: Mm-hmm um let's say let's say this if if we could actually see with let's say electromagnetic sight or psychic let's say psychic sight if we had the ability to see on these subtle or visionary or shamanic interdimensional levels uh we would just of necessity behave much more differently. We might, we might sing to the plants before we harvest them. For example, (laughs) um, we, we would walk barefoot on the earth just as we would in a sacred place. Um, you know, we, we would leave our emotional baggage behind and we wouldn't soil the place with the emotional baggage that we're carrying. We, uh, take a garbage bag and pick up litter when we'd leave uh you know this manner of thing
1: um we're gonna play another song here in just a moment and we're almost uh, already at the top of the hour which always happens when a conversation is interesting the time flies that's how i know it's an interesting conversation um So uh, Dan, I want to when we come back, uh, and we are speaking with Daniel Shaw. He is a Vortex detective, and would you tell us your website one more time, please?
0: Vortexmaps.com and Danshaw.com. I usually go by Dan, Danshaw.com and Vortexmaps.com. And say say your website, or say your give give your give your channel identification. And didn't you just get a new job?
1: Oh, you're sweet, Dan. Yes, you know, um, actually, uh, I, d- I don't currently have a, uh, a website for Becca's Morning Buzz. Um, I did just uh, switch brokerages. I am a realtor. Uh, I'm in my second year of realty, and I just switched uh, from Keller Williams to Pure West Christie's, uh, and um, uh, and I'm very excited about it. I learned a ton from my uh, Keller Williams uh, folks, and I'm really, really thankful for the time that I spent there with Keller Williams, and uh, but I did have a bit of a falling out with Realty this past summer, and I, I thought I might drop it altogether, and I decided that instead of quitting, I should give it another go and at least try to stick with it, and part of that included uh, trying a new brokerage. So um, yes, I, I do believe that we have to kind of, you know, the, the messages from the universe <laughs> are not always clear in terms of what we should do with our lives and the decisions that we should make, right? But uh, sometimes we just have to go with what feels right, and it, it felt right to go with Pure West, so I have high hopes for that.
0: Um. No, do congratulations.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. Um, it's uh, <laughs> I will say this live on the air. Uh, it is funny for a person like me, who doesn't necessarily believe that people can own property really, truly. Uh, I think that the earth o- owns us, if there is a word such as ownership. I, don't, I actually maybe don't also uh, believe in ownership so much. Um, but uh, it's interesting for a person like me to get into a field like realty uh, when I don't really believe in ownership to begin with but um, I do believe in working with people and that people need good homes and, uh, and, and it's helped me learn a ton about my community and be it's helped me become a lot more involved in my community and for those reasons I, I really like uh, realty so um, yeah I don't know the, wor- the world is full of paradoxes, right?
0: That's, a, that's always true Always true. I feel the same way. It's uh, how, how can we own the planet?
1: It seems silly, right? Because uh, we here we are thinking we own things, and then a natural disaster comes along and shows us that uh, well, that was silly, right? Uh, if a tidal wave comes along and sweeps your house away, then uh, wh- what did you own? Or right? <laughs> um, <coughs> or an earthquake or a landslide comes along and sweeps your house away then uh, how do you figure out uh, which land you purchased uh, in the first place, right, if it's not there anymore? Um, so uh, it is 11 o'clock here in Montana. Dan Dan Shaw is in Oregon, so he's one hour earlier. And this is the first time on Becca's Morning Buzz that I have done a remote interview, and I'm so gratified that it's working so well. And Right? Um, right? I can hear you great. And the the pin is yeah. telling me that you are being heard by everybody who's listening, so I'm super stoked about that.
0: Right on, just expanded your horizons.
1: Absolutely, uh, and uh, I'm very excited for some more remote interviews, uh, even though I like to keep the, the subject matter of the interview um, tied to Missoula and our, our kind of local community. Um, but our local community, it starts here, but it really uh, it really resounds uh, throughout, I think, uh, the rest of the country. We have a great community here, so I'm just gonna talk big, uh, like is way bigger than it uh, ge- geographically is. Um, so uh, it's the top of the hour. I'm going to let you all in. Uh, in case you didn't know, you're listening to 105.5, KFGM, Missoula's community radio station, streaming online live at www.1055kfgm.org. Uh, and for those of you who live outside of Missoula, that's the only way to tune in. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and play another song here, uh, as I already said. Uh, and then we're gonna come back to our interview with Dan Shaw, a vortex detective and dan i I would like to ask you some more questions uh, about your vortex maps because uh, when we met up when we met up in Missoula a little o- over a month ago, you had all these fascinating maps that you showed me and um, I, I can't show them to anybody who's listening, but we can talk about them and uh, I'd yeah, I'd like to touch on all of that stuff because it's all part of the fascinating package, isn't it?
0: Vortex uh, tend to fall in geometric patterns and I've, I've produced a few maps of those things and Missoula is totally connected to everywhere else. It is not not, not a separate place.
1: <laughs> I, I love that you just said that. Um, it's like it's like with ourselves, right It starts <clears throat> I think that we are entering into an age where we really need to focus on on what's local and start from there and create a a strong local uh, community, right? Like, the nation's not going to do it for us, and the state probably also isn't going to do it for us either. But if we start, right, small, (coughs) and that to me is synonymous or is a metaphor for starting with the self, too, right? (coughs) Like, if you want to make the whole country better, what do you do? Well, you you can't make the whole country better if you yourself are a basket case, right? so, uh, like you said, it, it's not separate. We're kind of all talking about the, the same thing here.
0: <laughs> well, I, love, I love being on community radio and having a to kind of narrow cast to, to your listeners' area. And I'm sure you've got listeners outside of the area. I hope so. And uh, so thank you for doing your part for community radio. That's super, super important to... I think sovereignty itself, liberty, and uh, our democratic republic.
1: Yeah, you know what? Uh, I I agree with you there uh, 100% too. It it was brought to my attention after I started my show on the community radio. I was just happy to have an outlet uh, when I started this show and happy to be able to interview someone every week and meet my community members and be inspired by them because we have so many fascinating people living in this town. Um, but it didn't occur to me until a little bit later that uh, we are entirely funded by the community. Um, whereas even my other two favorite local radio stations, MTPR and um, KBGA, uh <laughs> uh, KBGA on uh, the, comu- the uh, university radio station, both of those uh, stations are backed either by the government or the university. right? So, so they have a st- a separate standards that they have to uphold. Mm-hmm. Um, not that the community radio doesn't have standards to uphold, but I, I do believe there is an extra level of free speech uh, on this station that I really appreciate, and I hope that my community m- community members appreciate it as well.
0: Indeed, indeed. And so uh, who have you got for next week?
1: Uh, next week I have Robert Montes coming on the show. He is um, a a local gentleman who uh, does financial advising, and he helped me a great deal get my finances together, uh, and I'm really grateful to him. He teaches classes locally uh, to help people get out of financial debt or out of, you know, the nightmare of having your finances up in the air or uh, not nailed down, and uh, he he's just a great, a very inspiring human being and loves helping people, and... Um He's coming on my show. He's been on one time before, but it was a while ago, and I want uh, my local community members to hear what he has to say again. Uh, so he's my next guest.
0: All right, on. And what are you going to play for us next?
1: You know, that uh, that's always uh, up in the air. I don't uh, usually decide until the moment I'm playing the song. Uh, I think I'm going to play another song that I wrote, uh, and this is actually one that I wrote when I just ha- had come back to Missoula in 2012, from Portland, Oregon. And I was so glad to not be in a big rainy city, uh, even though I love Portland, Oregon, don't get me wrong. Um, and Missoula felt really right. And we climbed up this mountain, my, my sister and I. Uh, we we thought we had a trail to go on, but uh, it had been years since I had been in Missoula and I couldn't find the trail. And so we just kind of bushwhacked our way up the mountain. And uh, then I, I wrote a song about it. So um, this is called North Side of the Mountain. And uh, we're gonna come back to our interview with Dan Shaw as soon as I play this song, so (laughs) stick with us.
2: You know, we made our way up without a trail ahead. And now there's no way but I don't want to go down. You see, the rain in the city brought the sky down. And stay. into space fly down to its shore the only other way is feed on solid ground take a dog's Of ages past, free to roam like the beast at last, up the mountain on all far limbs, open to the breezes of passing whims. No fences, new frontiers, we're pioneers break up the grids that bind the earth that ties to our fears the world is not the city yet and clocks do not keep time we reach the top at an unknown hour and the town below is the remains of a fairy, of a fairy, different view Of a very different future.
1: That song is called "North Side of the Mountain." You're listening to Becca's Morning Buzz, and we have got Dan Shaw uh, coming in remotely from uh, Oregon today. Uh, and uh, we're talking about vortices, vortices, the Earth's energy system, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna get into it now because uh, when Dan was here in Missoula about a month or so ago, he showed me a bunch of maps, and he actually gave me a, uh, an interactive map, and I. I had to put it together um, and it made it this cool li- little um, kind of uh, hexagonal, multi a- a- angular uh, little 3D globe that I have sitting on my table. And um, it, uh, it kind of puts all of the um, tectonic patterns and uh, plate tectonic patterns and mountains and m- landforms and water systems and currents all in this, uh, uh, yeah, into this kind of tetrahedral pattern thing. And you can really look at it and see uh, that a lot of the Earth's, um, well, let's see, uh, active areas fall along these lines, right? Am I describing that well, Dan, or would you like to step in? and?
0: That was totally well said. It's uh, challenging to describe this globe, which is a geometric affair. It, it's a world map which is printed on 30 diamonds so that you can, you can actually fold it up yourself and assemble it into a globe. And it, it's called the Earth Star Globe, and it purports to show the natural geometry of the Earth. It's the becker Hagens, It's sometimes known as the becker Hagens Earth Star Globe. And it, it shows the geometric nature of the Earth's energy lines, the Earth grid lines. And, uh, of course, you can, you can see it at vortexmaps.com. And thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about it a little bit. It does show that many of the, the ocean trenches, for example, the tectonic areas do tend to follow this geometry. Coastlines of continents tend to follow the geometry. And many ancient monuments, as we talked about earlier, many ancient monuments mark these geometric points around the Earth. So it does seem to be, on some level, overwhelming evidence of these advanced ancient civilizations. And I've been studying these ancient monuments and such, uh, let's say mostly from Oregon, (laughs) but studying ancient monuments for for something like 30 years. I published uh, this world map, the Earth Star Globe, and I've also published another geometric vortex map which i call earth star north america and then at vortexmaps.com i've compiled only more than a hundred visionary maps of various kinds my favorite are these geometric maps because that does when you see geometries and repeating geometries it's again uh, somewhat overwhelming uh, it, it's hard to uh, overwhelming evidence it's hard to argue with the the geometry when you see it on the map
1: and now when you are talking about uh, monuments uh, let's can you just kind of list off a few of the monuments that you uh,
0: oh sure so the the earth star globe is a combination the geometry is a combination of the icosahedron and the dodecahedron so these are two of the simplest geometric shapes the so-called platonic solid the icosahedron and the dodecahedron, and they're dual solids, uh, so they're a pair. One has points where the other has faces, so they nest perfectly. In other words, you can kind of combine them, in which case you get this shape, which is, it's got a long, complex name, but basically, uh, with the Earth star globe, you get 30 of these diamond-shaped sides. You end up with 62 vortex points, including the North and South Pole, and the whole thing is centered on the Great Pyramids in Egypt, but then the geometry shows you its relationship to the Bermuda Triangle, and Easter Island, and Megaliths in China, Uh, and uh, well, just all all over the world you can see these ancient monuments uh, and ancient civilizations lining up on these geometric points.
1: And then uh, tectonic plates also seem to line up uh, along the lines or like the edges of continents and things like that.
0: Right. Well, it seems to me that everything in creation has a certain geometry to it, but it takes a kind of a visionary to see it at planetary scale. So this Earth grid, it was first identified by, uh, uh, well, the the Bermuda Triangle uh, and a number of other points similar to it. Geometric, following a geometric pattern, and those were first identified by a guy named Ivan Sanderson. Then a bunch of Russian researchers picked up on it and found that there was this larger geometric pattern. And then in the process of things, uh, a couple of folks, Bill Becker and, and Beth Hagens, ended up publishing this this uh, globe, which actually shows the Earth grid. And so it's kind of a research tool. You can kind of hold it in your hands and roll it around and, and look at how the correspondence is. And then, so there's this um, primary grid, which is the combination of the icosahedron and the dodecahedron that gives you 62 points. And then there's finer meshes of the grid, and, and in the finer meshes too, you get, especially, of course, over the, the U.K., uh, where, where the ancient monuments seem to be so thick on the map you get to see how they fall on all these finer lines the montana megaliths as you mentioned so it's this uh, this map came out in the 80s as a as a map this whole this whole thing kind of reached a fever pitch in the the mid 80s and then uh, some 30 years ago or so I published the maps and became a, kind of a, a hub for for vortex research when I published it
1: And um, did a lot of people get in touch with you and say, wow, this is really cool, and um, tell me more?
0: Well, I published the map, reprinted it, in part for that reason, because I wanted to be in this field and be in contact with people who were doing similar research. And I hear from people all over the world who are doing amazing and incredible things. Uh, things that verge on unbelievable. If I hadn't experienced many minor miracles myself, uh, I've had a UFO sighting that was, was a little bit more than a UFO sighting and that I had got the definite sense that the UFO was looking at me. Um,
2: Would
0: you,
1: would you care to expound on
0: as a teenager? I, I had a, a UFO just kind of turned the lights on so that it could be seen by me. And that was the impression I got. I was uh, kind of a young teenager. And for example, now that doesn't have a vortex relationship to it that I know of, but uh, that was one of my early experiences that kind of led me down this road. But I've had a number of experiences, which kind of cracked me open and where uh, I realized there was something at deeper levels. And, uh, so I've, I've been following this path of studying these, these energetic places now for something like 30 years, um, since about 1986 or so. Well, not quite, but, um, so it's a, it brings me into contact with, with many fascinating folks, such as, as we mentioned earlier, Judy Ryder and you, and you, you have, you Tell. Can you say something more about your experience at the, at the Montana Megalith? You you were there with a the Rinpoche and uh, you would just written this song about the Rainbow Race, and he that was part of their mythos. But what did you? Can you? Did you have an experience there? Were you able to feel the vortex energies in some way, or how did you? Some people are seeing. Are they getting photographs of orbs, and they're having experiences of other worlds and, and beings, and.
1: Um, yeah, you know, uh, while I was there, I, I had this kind of surreal, ex- you know, just feeling. Uh, I can't, couldn't really put it in another, into other words. Uh, and um, it was more my experience a- after I left that really, uh, really caught my attention because uh, when I came back to Missoula, I f- felt almost like I had been staring at the sun all day, or. Like, I had been out in the bright sun all day, and it it wasn't a particularly sunny day. It wasn't a particularly sunny experience, but I just, I felt kind of, like, bleached. I I, I don't know how else to put it, uh, and um, kind of tired, and, uh, of course, my my mind was also spinning with all of the things that I had observed, and, um, you know, uh, so that was my experience. I've never um, come away from a place uh, feeling quite that way, so... I guess that was that was my takeaway I'm not you know as far as I know I'm, I'm not psychic although s- s- some funny things do happen sometimes where it makes me also believe that you know there is more to <laughs> this existence than would meet the rational eye um, mm. and uh, and also again you know when I saw the post of Julie's on Facebook it there are only a few things that have happened to me in my life that have really uh, turned turned my head in a way that I couldn't possibly explain. And seeing her post on Facebook was one of them uh, for no rational reason, you know. So uh, let's see. I, you know what? I'm looking at this Earth energy grid map uh, that Google actually provides. Uh, and it, it superimposes this Earth energy map over the Earth. And um, when I was uh, in Las Vegas uh, this past winter, I was super stoked to travel around, because I'm not a big fan of Las Vegas, but uh, there are a lot of really interesting uh, parks around Las Vegas, and I was able to see some uh, really old petroglyphs for the first time in my life. And when I then uh, went online and looked, because I was curious about the Earth's energy grid, uh, I saw that this same line that goes up through Montana, and then there's another one crossing over it, uh, also goes right down through where these petroglyphs were. And uh, those things like that just, um, I d- you know, I think that ancient peoples were much more connected to their own energy systems and possibly the Earth's energy system just because they, well, they didn't live closer to the Earth because we all live on the Earth and we're all, like, touching it with our feet. But their existence was, um, right, un- we couldn't, we can't even comprehend now in modern-day existence what it was like to be a primitive human. Uh, but when we contemplate these ancient... Uh Structures that they built, right? Um, it's it becomes this fascinating new thing to comple- contemplate. Like, how did these uh, ancient humans uh, sense uh, an Earth's energy system? They must have sensed vortices. I'm guessing they had people who sensed them. Like, what's Stonehenge, right? Or what are the Mayan ruins and Aztec ruins and? Um yeah, so you have um, a point, a, a map that you showed me with 19 points that goes all around uh, the Pacific Northwest and includes uh, you know, all of the major volcanoes that we're familiar with, like Mount Rainier and Mount Hood and Shasta and comes over um, and down through Montana and includes water bodies, right? Would you talk a little bit about just that for, for our area?
0: Okay, sure, sure. So, uh, well, we've mentioned the montana megaliths in which you can really only see with the guided tour from from julie ryder so we can't exactly expose the location of those uh those cultural features have to be protected right but we we've mentioned that we've mentioned the montana vortex up there near columbia falls and that does show there are there are scientific ways of looking at these electromagnetic fields for sure, gravity fields, magnetic maps uh, are available. The Montana vortex does seem to be on a magnetic anomaly. Um, It's also one of these 19 points that form a nearly perfect circle around the Grand Tetons. Uh, Every one of those 19 points around the Grand Tetons is the largest mountain or body of water in its region. And that map I call the Earth Star North America map. for Star North America. And you can see that again at vortexmaps.com. And so uh, knowing the Grand Tetons, if you pull out a map of North America, you can put the center of a compass, the kind that's used for drawing a circle, yeah, on the Grand Tetons, and then put, put the pencil on a point, uh, for example, M- Mount Shasta, Lake Tahoe, Sedona, Mount Rainier, Three Sisters, any one of these points, and draw that circle, you'll see that the circle inscribes, goes through 19 significant points, mountains, and bodies of water. So there's a geometry there, uh, which I've, well, I've also published a map in that nature there. But, uh, oh, well, we've been talking about. Um, these energetic places and how people may be sensitive to these energies but we have hadn't really talked about the, the scientific you know the, the rigorous scientific research behind that but of course there's you know uh, we do have geophysical ways of seeing these these earth energies and and there it does seem to be a correspondence between uh, mm, these electro magnetic anomalies or in mineral deposits and such and you I like how you described how you kind of felt sun bleached after being in these this kind of energy field and I'm sure sure we can all relate to having been you know it's maybe not always the same it's probably always different depending on yourself the energy of the place kind of the nature of your energy at the time time cycles that kind of thing
1: yeah, I, you know, after visiting the Montana dolmens and megaliths, I, I, ac- I just wanted to come back and do more exploring. And, uh, unfortunately, I haven't been back to the same area, uh, since then. Uh, but Julie, uh, mentioned some other locations and, um, I felt that I would be able to find them. Uh, and I did feel like I found them when I looked at the maps, depending, you know, from how she mentioned them. She described them as triangulating. So the, giant's playground would be one of the areas and then there were two other areas that she mentioned uh that triangulating from the from giant's playground and when i looked at the map i felt oh i i can actually see where where she means you know it was a a relief map so you could see where the highest points were and um so i yeah i've been wanting to go back uh ever since and, and and haven't made it uh i did uh she had a recently a a meditation and some kind of guided retreat uh somewhere somewhere over there and i I wasn't able to go so you know we'll we'll see what she does next she's kind of been exploding on facebook with a ton of information and um i I can't say that i can actually keep up with it all because uh it's all (coughs) uh, you know it's a lot of information let's put it that way
0: (laughs) (laughs) right well it's a pleasure for me to be able to to kind of uh a review because we've had a chance to talk earlier but to kind of review this with you because I feel well it is it's pretty hard to describe not just the vortex maps in general but the, the Montana megaliths in particular uh, again uh, it's kind of a multi it's kind of a layer cake of different hypotheses. you have to uh, uh, agree the, the possibility of these advanced ancient civilizations because they seem to be building monuments that are just almost, there's you could say, cyclopean. They're beyond human scale. They're just, you know, it boggles the mind that humans could build this and that the humans could build this 13,000 years ago and that it's here kind of undiscovered, kind of flying under the radar. These, you know, Julie's identified 71 sites or more where there's these seemingly these large granite blocks that have been enhanced, at least enhanced, by human agency, yeah? Now, granite does, when it cools, the thing about, you know, if we wanted to go more into the, uh, we could go more into the geography of that location and and all the different kind of vortex features there at the Montana vortex, which you'll find vortexes everywhere, and so understanding the features at one vortex will help you identify vortexes in other places. And one method is just to pick up a map and draw uh, circle all the ore and mineral deposits, circle all the ho- high points, circle all the ancient cultural features, and maybe some patterns will start to emerge for you. Maybe it'll be lines, maybe it'll be triangles, maybe it'll be circles, etc. So we could go more d- in depth into the, your, your Montana megaliths. We could go more in depth into the Montana Vortex and House of Mystery which is a world-class attraction. and But my point I want to make is that there are vortexes everywhere. Everywhere there's these unique electromagnetic energies when we expose ourselves to these energies, it does affect our energy system, our chakras, etc. And so there's this opportunity for physical healing, for psychic opening, and for harmonizing the planet. And so you don't have to go to seek out this person or you don't have to travel great distances to find a vortex, identify a vortex near you where the energy is harmonic for you and healing for you.
1: So, um, you know, if, let's see, is there a a vortex location, I mean aside from the Montana vortex up by Glacier, is there another vortex, what's the closest vortex to Missoula would, would you say?
0: Oh gosh, well I'm saying, I'm saying everywhere. OK, uh, where, where where two rivers come together, you'll find very distinct energy.
1: Ooh, we have all, that in Missoula. The, the Clark Fork and the Bitterroot come together uh, right here. Yeah.
0: Right. So you'll find the energy is rather distinct on every side, whether you're upstream, downstream, left or right. There's going to be a distinctive depending on where you're standing relative to this energy. So these rivers, they're coming together. They're not pure water they've got some dissolved minerals in them. So they actually are carrying electrons. They're kind of a, an electrical current, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> there's, an ele- there's electrons traveling there. That creates kind of a magnetic field. But water in itself is not exactly magnetic. It actually takes on the magnetic field that is surrounding it. So you've got these electromagnetic flows of water, each one distinct, having different temperature and salinity and everything else minerals and they're coming together and so it's like one plus one equals three and where they come together you get this very complex electromagnetic field and maybe there's some gold placer deposits here and there not just in the river but where the river uh has actually filled in over time covered over there may be some gold mineral deposits under there so vortex sure huh
1: um you know uh I've uh, I like to paddleboard and I'm just bringing this up because um, I as soon as I get out on the river uh, on my paddleboard and I, I've heard other people talk about this experience with boating because I know a lot of people around here like boating a lot. Um, I Im- I experience an immediate shift in my my energy system when I'm out on the water. Um, a it feels like I could be out there forever. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I and yeah. uh, Anything that has been bu- bothering me or bugging me uh, disappears, and um, th- there's something about the, f- the feel of the water and being on that, that fluidity, and, um, and and there's a certain freedom that I also associate with being on the water, and I think that that freedom also um, allows you know the human energy system a little more space, right? I feel like. My, my energy system, my human energy system gets compressed during the day uh, in normal existence, right, where I'm moving from one thing to the next thing and, um, you know, having different social interactions, staying on schedule, right, staying on task, and by the end of the day, you know, everybody experiences that feeling of coming home and just kind of like, oh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm home, and I can finally let my system relax and let my system release, and... Um, But some people come home and, like, turn on the television, and then my theory is that they they don't ever let their energy system relax or release, right? When you turn on the television, you're not processing or releasing the day in any way. Um, When I get on the river, the same thing happens, but, like, times 50, right? (laughs) Compared to coming home and releasing the energy system. I get on the river, and it, like, it releases me or something. I'm not sure.
0: Well, that's exactly the vortex effect right there. You said earlier that these ancient people may have been in, in... of a greater connection with the the earth and and in fact they actually were because they weren't wearing shoes when we put insulative soles in our shoes and disconnect ourselves from grounding to the earth electrically grounding to the earth what that means is that there's a different electrical potential six feet above the earth at the level of our head there's a a difference in the, how our cells, our electromagnetic cells, behave when we're wearing shoes or, or electrically connected to the earth. And so when you're in the water there, when you walk barefoot in wet sand, what have you, you're actually grounding your electrical field. And to me that's, that's part of the vortex effect. And another part then is in growing plants. How can we use these subtle energies, these earth energies, in 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 our gardens? So that's that's another extension. How can we use these energies for actually healing ourselves, our living cells, and the cells of plants and animals?
1: Um, you know, I think those are really huge questions to answer. Um, I will uh, speak uh, again to my own experience uh, in response to what you just said about grounding. Um, I read a book called Born to Run in, uh, let's see, that was was a while ago, 2009 maybe. Uh, It changed my life because um, it was all about barefoot running uh, and or running uh, in a different way than Nike has taught us to run over the past (laughs) 50 years or so, right, where Nike made these really expensive shoes with big cushy heels and then said, you know, the real way to run is to strike with the heel first, and then here's this nice, big, cushy heel that will protect your heel as you r- run with your heel striking the ground. And the whole premise of this book, Born to Run, is that um, that humans uh, evolved uh, running, and that's why we uh, evolved uh, over other you know beings at the time, like Neanderthals or whatever. Uh, I'm not going to go into the whole history right now, but um, that the naturally running human is uh, falling forward and striking on the front of the foot and um, using that falling energy uh, to save energy while running. Uh, and I have proven that this works for myself because I love to run. Uh, and I started wearing uh, five-finger shoes, let's see, in 2009 or 2010. So that's been almost nine or ten years now that I've been running with five-finger shoes. Uh, and my feet did experience uh, a, a, a bit of uh, change. Uh, they. Both of my feet, one and then the other, kind of swelled up and uh, opened up, and uh, after that happened, it was it was a little painful for a couple of months. Uh, after that happened, I have never had a problem since, and I pound around on all the trails all around Missoula uh, in my five-finger shoes, and um, I don't have any foot issues. I have no leg, shin, or ankle, hip, back, any issues whatsoever, uh, and I never feel more grounded and or more free when i'm running around on the trails around missoula and um so i wonder you know uh if you know there are vortices all around us in nature and we just can't contact them because we can't (laughs) we can't feel it because we're all wearing shoes or something like that then um wow is is what if, what if we said, you know, if all of humanity <laughs> made a pledge to wear like really thin soled shoes and walk around and be really grounded, if, how much that would change us? Who knows, right?
0: Well, uh, there is a, there's a, thanks for sharing that. There's a book called Earthing, which goes into much greater detail and they, earthing, earthing. Okay. yes, yeah, like grounding, but earthing. <coughs> and, uh, company does make some shoes which have a conductive material between the earth and the foot. Little copper uh, rivet uh, type thing so that you do get an electrical connection through the sole. And they make some other products as well so that you can be electrical ground, electrically grounded while you're indoors, while you're in front of your laptop, while you're in bed, etc. So it's there's some you know, nice hard scientific evidence about how the cells change when they're electrically grounded. So uh, that that's an important part of this. Uh, My study is really again, it's like kind of like a layer cake in that there's uh, you have to assume uh, that the Earth's electromagnetic field has an influence on the electromagnetic cells of our body and on our psyche on our actual cognitive abilities because it's affecting the cells in our brain and that we have an electromagnetic sense and that we can harness this electromagnetic sense and actually the ancient monuments these are all built with an awareness of geophysical energies and built with energetic materials and they do seem to explain how to work with these Earth energies. When you look at how the pyramid is built, with materials that were hauled in from far away, quarried of materials that actually do have electromagnetic properties and such, and on and on with every other kind of ancient monument. There,
1: uh, would you describe actually what they used to build the pyramids? Because I, 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 thought that you know, I they're like rocks that they quarried from right, right somewhere else. You're saying that these rocks actually have more right. electromagnetic properties than the local rocks.
0: Well, when you look at ancient monuments in general, they do, they seem to exhibit that they're built with materials that have energetic, they've been chosen for their energetic properties. They often have quartz in them. Quartz is actually an electric material in that it has electrical potential. When you apply pressure to quartz, it actually gives off an electrical charge. So, uh, for example, so under the massive weight of the pyramid this material is under pressure under the summer sun the, the material expands that creates a kind of on the outer surfaces you know where it gets sunlight those materials are going to heat up on the under surfaces those are going to remain cool you're going to see uh, so there's electrical changes that are happening with the day/night cycle there's uh, all kinds of hydraulics and channels water channels and etc always, uh, not, I shouldn't say always, but often associated with these ancient monuments so it appears as though they're energizing water. For example at Lake Titicaca where they've got these ancient agricultural practices, they're seemingly cycling water, collecting water in pyramids and then cycling them through their crops and such. So at, a, at whatever, Stonehenge for example, the monuments there they have got this, the trilithons. In other words, two uprights with a capstone across, yes. So you've got two stones, and the, the dolmens at the Montana Vortex, same thing. You've got the uprights, those are under compression. If they've got quartz crystal in them, you could put some kind of an electrical reader meter to the rock. You can actually read the electrical charge in the rock. The capstone there of the dolmen or the trilithons at Stonehenge, those are gonna be under tension Yeah, almost to the degree where you can, you know, ring them like a bell because they're under tension there. That's going to give off a different kind of electrical charge. Uh, So um, there's a lot at the pyramid. I could answer your I wouldn't be an expert at answering your question directly about the materials at the Great Pyramid. um, But at every monument that you study, you'll find that the materials were brought in from a distance often and they they've got various uh you know at certain there's they're using mica in uh certain points uh or they're using quartz or they're using granite or different kinds of granite these all things all have various different or they're using certain geometries to create certain energies certain antenna like frequencies i could go on do you will you be playing us one more song before we go
1: huh good question um Yes, yes, I will play one more song, and uh, let's see, we only have, already, we already only have 15 minutes, so, um, uh, you're listening to Becca's Morning Buzz, I'm Becca, and uh, we've got Dan Shaw uh, on the line this morning, Uh, he's coming in uh, from Oregon, uh, online, this is a Skype conversation that I feel like is just coming across really well, the sound, and, um, yeah, I've uh, been all by myself in the studio, so, Let's see, uh, I'll play one more song, and then, um Dan, if there's anything that we haven't mentioned or talked about, <laughs> I, I feel like I could talk to you about this all day, but we can't do that, so um uh y- think about that, and we'll uh we'll touch upon whatever it might be for the last ten minutes. Does that sound good? oh, yes, awesome, uh all right, well, let's see what will what will I play um here's a song that um. It's the most recent song that I finished writing and uh, have been playing regularly enough to play it on the radio because there's a couple other songs that I'm finishing writing and I'm I'm not ready to play them on the radio yet. So this one is called Magic Pill Blues Mantra, and uh, here we go. I'm going to move the mic down just a little bit.
2: just feel down you gotta feel good inside so things can feel good outside it's outside of your mind i say what do i do you say it's inside of you there's no magic pill ain't life such a thrill existence. There's no resistance. The water
1: Thanks, Dan. That's that's cute. Um, that, uh, so that song is called uh, Magic Pill Blues Mantra and um, uh, yeah, I, I try to play songs that I feel like kind of match up with what we're talking about and uh, you were talking about the rivers uh, as the circulatory system uh, for the earth and I, I think of them that way too and uh, I guess I, I don't usually say that out loud but um, I just played two songs uh, over the course of this show where I refer to uh, water as you know something more than just water let's put it that way um and we are made of water so uh dan uh, i i wanted you to think about anything that we left out that you might still want to touch upon so um where are you at what are you thinking about
0: well, we've certainly left left out more than we've touched upon. So I would just invo- invite your listeners to continue the conversation with me. Find me at vortexmaps.com, and uh, visit me at danshaw.com, and I will share freely as much information as I possibly can about Earth energies. I'll send everybody a free ebook when they send me an email. And, uh, just like to end on a note of, uh, supporting everyone to connect with their local sacred place to go there with sacred and ceremonial intention and to do whatever ceremonies people do re sanctify your local sacred places. Know that they're connected to everywhere. You are not separate uh, you've brought a little bit of everywhere you've ever visited back with you and uh, touch the earth. You can drink the water. If you can drink the water, then drink a little water, eat a little of the local wild edibles, breathe the air, and uh, be aware of the possibility of really uh, directly experiencing that mystical connection to the to the sacred, divine earth. And uh, so I hope to continue the conversation with you and, and with your listeners.
1: Uh, me too. Uh, I, I do hope that you hear uh, from at least somebody. Uh, and I will say, <laughs> uh, uh, right, it's also it's always difficult to tell uh, how many folks are listening at any one point in time, although it is a cloudy day, uh, and even though it's the homecoming parade today, I, I do think that maybe some folks are at home tuning in. My name is uh, my full name is Rebecca Kelly, uh, and you can find me on on Facebook. Uh, hopefully, um, yeah. I, I you know what I need a I need a comprehensive website so that I can tell people, hey, check it out. You know, if you like the interview, <laughs> let me know, and I can also then get more information uh, for my listeners who are who are interested. Um, for now, I would say contact the radio station if you'd like to contact me, and John Van Dyke can put you in touch with me. That might be easiest um uh and I will say also that uh i I love what you've talked about dan um because uh you know humans uh and all other living creatures and the earth uh you know as one s- same system and not a separate systems, i think is uh a very healing and uh, y- uh also useful way uh, of looking at uh life existence uh and, and the earth in general, and that if we as humans want to start healing ourselves, right? Because we sure have created a, created a, <laughs> a bunch of let's see situations on on the face of the planet that, uh, maybe are not in line with the energy systems that we were all created with. Um, then uh, yeah, one of the most healing things that we can do is is take our shoes off and go for a walk. In the winter time, I'm not sure how we do that. Then we have to kind of think about that twice. Maybe we take our shoes off when we come home and walk around barefoot. But um, yeah, g- uh, the things, the practices that I find most healing in my life are those practices that, that take me away from my mind and put me more in touch with, uh, with my, my body and my, my system, the system that I was born with, not the system that I acquired uh, from living life. And um, that when I'm outside and hiking on the, the trails all around Missoula, that, that is sacred space for me. You know, the smell of the air. The feel of the air on my skin is something that doesn't compare to anything you could ever find indoors. Um, although food cooking does make amazing smells, I will say, but that's <laughs> a little bit different. Um, <laughs> and um, Dan, we have uh, five minutes left, so um, is there any way you would like to s- kind of summarize what we've been talking about or touch upon some of the most important stuff? Because I, I can take a shot at it, but I, I like uh, your words.
0: Oh, gosh. Well, everything is yoga. It's all yoga. When Ooh. you're, do you do yoga?
1: Just uh, out of a curiosity. Sure,
0: sure yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: and do you find parallels between your body's energy system and the and the Earth energy system? I mean, I guess you know that I wouldn't say the Earth has a chakra system, but I'm very convinced of the chakra system. When I can't fall asleep, I relax my sha- my chakra system one chakra at a time, and it works every time. It's like self Reiki. Um, but uh, oh. go ahead, I interrupted you.
0: No, 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 that's that's nice, that's nice. Uh, I like to say it's all yoga, in that in the yoga in the broadest sense. I mean, we know of the kind of stretching yoga, right? We know about that. We know there's kind of a philosophy, yoga history and culture and philosophy, and we know there's karma yoga and there's different kinds of yoga. Uh, but in kind of in the broadest sense, it's it's like a practice of bringing us into greater awareness and presence and consciousness. And everybody comes into this interest in sacred places in vortexes from different angles. I've got my angle. I'm interested in subtle energies, electromagnetic energies, and how they affect our consciousness and our physical body and our living cells and etc. Everybody comes in a different way. You could think of it as, you know, this is the yoga of how I'm relating to the earth. I'm, Now I'm on this slope. Now I'm on the peak. Now I'm in this valley. I'm moving from this meadow energy into this waterfall energy. Now I'm at the bottom of the one. Now I'm at the top of the waterfall. You know, you're moving in through these different energetic fields as you uh, are in the river or as you are on this mountain. And they're affecting your electromagnetic fields in very obvious physical ways. And those have uh, kind of a knock-on effect right and they're affecting your electromagnetic field and they're they're affecting the way you breathe and they're exp- the way you're experiencing life and the way you know you're taking in f- colors uh so it's it's all yoga it's all yoga bringing you into greater connectedness with everything
1: uh you know I I I love that you're saying that especially to end this show because um you know regardless of whether you know people out there listening do yoga or not um i will come back to the the essential quality of yoga which is uh the breath right and and breathing and this simple thing that every human being does and many 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 living things also right breathe or respirate or in some way take in oxygen from their environment uh, and in human beings, uh, right, when we breathe and when we focus on our breath, I mean, that's meditation, right? Coming back to your breath and um, finding your sense of, of inner peace, uh, hopefully. And we're always running around looking outside of ourselves for what's going to give us that sense of inner peace, right? We're going to go and, right, go to the gym and, and work out, and then we're going to get a massage, and then we're going to make a really tasty dinner, and then we're going to read our favorite book before we go to bed at night, and uh, who knows? But uh what i have been learning from life i i feel like is that everybody has the ability to rest with themselves and go inside and not look for what they need outside of themselves because that's what we're trained to do but rather to find that thing within themselves and to have faith that that they have it as as uh, and their only credentials for having that inner sense is is that they're human and perceiving and aware and able to to hone in on that perceiving and refine it. Um, we have maybe one minute left. Or maybe we only have 20 seconds. So, yeah. um, Dan, I am so, so, so thankful that you've taken the time to speak with us this morning uh, from from Oregon. Uh, and uh, I hope you have a fantastic, fantastic Saturday. And um, thank you so much for telling us uh, what you know about, you know, vortices and uh, the Earth's energy body i'm going to call it and uh, for discussing with us uh, yeah life and and what makes us alive and what connects us to the earth uh, any final comments before i turn this off
0: well thank you very much for your good work and uh, i'll just meditate on you can't you can never really step off of your yoga mat kind of like you can never really step outside of the vortex
1: Oh, I love that. Uh, I take my yoga practice with me everywhere, uh, and I thought I was crazy at first for doing that, uh, and then I realized I, c- I couldn't help it, right? That uh, paying attention to the breath at, at any point in time in the day is really, really central and necessary. So, um, Dan, I hope that uh, we continue our conversation uh, in some way, shape, or form. I'm not sure what shape or form that will take, but uh, until the next time, uh, I wish you all the best uh, in Oregon, and uh, do please stay in touch.
0: And you too. Thank you so much.
1: All right. Thank you. Missoula, have a wonderful day. We'll be back next week with Robert Montez and another great interview and some more music. Okay? Here's a song on the computer.